If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 13, we're going to be going over a message that I entitled God and Government. And we're going to be covering the first few uh, verses here in Romans chapter 13. We'll do the rest uh, next week, probably a little bit into chapter 14. But this is just kind of where it divided out um, well as far as, uh, as how it should have been divided out in the Bible with the verses and all that. And I'm going to be honest with you. Out of all the scriptures in Romans, this is the one that I almost wanted an excuse to avoid. Because it's a scripture that everybody is going to have a very, very strong opinion about. And even more so than that, I think a lot of people might have some strong emotions about that, particularly because of the climate that is going on in our country right now. Maybe not here in our church. For the most part, we get along pretty well. As I said during the um, offering time when I was, or the announcement time when I was thanking you for allowing me to be your pastor for the last six years, this is a, a pretty easy church to pastor in that everybody gets along and there's no huge church fights going on. But in the climate that we live in as a nation right now, this whole idea that Paul is going to bring up about... Um, obedience to authority and submission to authority might get some emotions going. And on the surface, Romans 13, 1-7 seems to be very plainly written. If you read it, there's not a bunch of, of cloudiness in there. There's not a lot of equivocation. And we're going to read it in a moment, but to summarize, it says to be good citizens of whatever nation you live in, obey its laws, keep your head down, and be a law-abiding and productive citizen. And Paul doesn't give a lot of equivocation. Here are a list of exceptions to the rule. But what happens when the government that we live in, whether it be here in America or elsewhere, turns against its citizens and begins to do things that are in conflict with our faith? When is it right to rebel against the human government that God ordains? That's going to be one of the challenges that we face today as we study God's Word. And since this might be a little contentious, we're going to end with a little bit of question and answer period and, and, and a, a family discussion about some of the things that are coming up with this. And since this might be a little contentious, I just want to ensure two principles for us before I begin. And the first one is, are we a church family? Are we a family? Do we believe that? And I ask this because have you ever had a strong disagreement with your family? You ever get in a fight over Thanksgiving or Christmas or, you know, Uncle Tim had one too many drinks of brandy or something? It's Wisconsin. It has to be brandy at Christmas, right? So, or something like that happens and they start yelling at each other. But in the end, everybody comes back together and we're family. And at the end of today's message, as I said, we're going to take a few moments for discussion. Even if you disagree with me or someone else's opinion, I just wanted to remember that we are still family and we love one another. The second thing I want to just ensure is that the Bible interprets the Bible. That's the basics of Bible reading is that the Bible should always interpret the Bible. When we see a strong proclamation like the one we're about to read, we look at it, how it's applied throughout the entire Bible, 
and even to a smaller extent, how the church has applied it throughout history. And that's going to lead us to several examples that we'll look at today in order to see the full truth of what Paul is saying here in Romans 13. So I'm going to read that right now. Romans 13, 1 through 5. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant for you to do, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take this scripture and help it make sense to the world we live in today. In some ways, it looks very cut and dry, black and white, but help us to understand some of the nuances of how the people of God have, have practiced this, both in biblical history in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and now today in the world we live in. Help us to be spiritually minded and discern the truth as you would speak it to us this morning. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. I want to make a quick point here, and I've said it many times before, that the way the Bible is laid out in chapter and verse markings, that part is not inspired by God. In other words, when you see the chapters and the verse markings, God did not dictate to the people who wrote the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, chapter 2, and the earth was, or verse 2. He did not say that. Those, those things were added um, much later. And added in the Middle Ages by both Roman Catholic and Protestant theologians to make it easier for people to, to find specific thoughts for study. And they're indispensable. They really are. I love the fact that, that somebody put those in the Bible. I mean, imagine me standing up here this morning and saying, um, turning your Bibles to that part in Romans about 65% of the way through that starts with, let everyone be subject to authority. Yeah, I'll wait. I know it'll take you a while. Instead, I'm just able to say Romans 13, turn there, and we all know how to get there quickly. But one of the problems with chapter and verse markings is that they were not always placed well. And very often, they separate a train of thought and, and separate subordinate idea away from the central idea. And this is a case in Romans 13. Romans 13 is a continuation of Romans 12, especially the first few verses here. And the central thought of Romans 12 we studied last week, where it said in Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You say, why are you bringing this up? Why are we going backwards in Romans to understand what is here in Romans? It's because the concept of chapter 13 about submission to earthly authority is an outworking of the idea of being a living sacrifice. You really don't see a train of thought switch until later in chapter 13. And that's the heart that we are to have in applying these verses in Romans 13. Last week I said that our spiritual act of worship is to live according to the spirit that God gave us. And that makes us very different than everyone else around us who lives according to their earthly and fleshly desires, doesn't it? We become that peculiar people that that don't run with the crowd. And if we live according to the Spirit of God, being submissive to earthly authorities, and spiritual authorities for that matter, should be pretty easy, right? We're simply living according to how God wants us to do so. There are a few principles that we see in Romans 13 that we are to emulate today. And one is a recognition that human government is actually ordained by God. The idea of government is ordained by God. Not always the type of government, not always the the rulers in the government, but the idea of human government is ordained by God. And ideally, governments are organized for the welfare of the entire population. Ideally. Obviously, we see exceptions, but that is the ideal that God has for human government. In America, our government is a constitutional representative republic. It is not a democracy. We keep, we, especially in the election year, we keep hearing democracy. We are not a democracy. We are a constitution representative republic, and that makes a difference. And in America, the preamble to our constitution, our founding document, says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, promote the general welfare, or I'm sorry, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. This is what our government is supposed to be about right here. And our founding fathers were wise in that they created a document that defined a system of government that didn't give rights to people. It limited government powers to these specific categories that we see previous. Establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility, providing for defense, promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty. That is what the Constitution and the government is supposed to be about in our country. Okay? If you're listening in Canada or Moscow or somewhere else, this is, this is America I'm talking about. Now, obviously, we see abuses of that, even in our own country. And we'll talk about that in a moment, toward the end of the message. The principle that God is trying to let us know here is that part of our spiritual act of worship is to be obedient to the government. We do that for two reasons. Number one is to be a good witness. Christians should be the best citizens of any nation they are in, even when that nation isn't always doing the right thing. You see, a biblical example of this from the Old Testament 
In Jeremiah chapter 29, the people of Israel and Judah have been brutally conquered. I am talking Babylon came in, wiped them out, men, women, and children, and those few people that survived were then taken 700 miles away from their homeland and settled forcibly around the city of Babylon. Now Babylon is ruled by a king who thinks he's a god. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's divine. It is pagan. It is evil in many, many ways. But yet God gives these survivors and these exiles these instructions. This is from Jeremiah 29. He says, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to the exiles who who were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you as exiles. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. So that's the first principle summarized, is to simply be a good citizen of wherever God calls you to live. The second principle in Romans 13 is to obey authority. Obey authority. And this concept is the flashpoint of most of the conflict we have seen this year. Let me tell you of a recent interaction I had with the police. It's a little embarrassing, but I'll be transparent. As most of you know, I do a lot of driving. I go to Marshfield, I go to Wisconsin Rapids, um, I come home very late at night, um, I go to Black River Falls for work, sometimes come home very early in the morning or late at night, and very often I see state patrol or county sheriff somewhere taking radar, you know, pointing their gun at you, seeing how fast you're going. I usually set my cruise control so I'm not speeding, because I'm usually half tired, like, kind of driving, and I, don't wanna, I wanna make sure I'm not speeding, I wanna make sure I'm being safe, and, and watching for Bambi who wants to always jump in front of me. So I'm driving down the road, and a few weeks ago, I was leaving Marshfield about 11 p.m., and it was raining hard, really hard. I mean, to the point where it was difficult to see. So cruise control isn't an option. You shouldn't use your cruise control when it's raining like that because you can hydroplane and end up somewhere out in the woods. And the rain was starting to let up a little, and I was thinking about starting the cruise control, and I'm heading down this kind of winding hill. And at the bottom of the hill was a Clark County Sheriff with his radar gun. I looked down quickly at my speedometer, and it said 70 miles an hour. I was like, oh, no. And sure enough, as I passed him, I look in my rearview mirror. His lights turn on. Woo! Pulls me over. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't afford a ticket. I finally got good, good rates of my insurance. What are you stupid? You know, and I'm, and he pulls me over. I see him just sitting there. So I get out my license, my concealed carry permits. I had my pistol on and logged on to my insurance on my phone, put both my hands on the steering wheel, palms up, fingers spread. So you can see I'm not, I don't have a weapon. Comes to the door. Roll the, door, or roll the window down. License and registration, please. 
So I handed him that, concealed carry permit and all that kind of stuff. And he looked at that and he goes, are you armed right now? Are you carrying a gun? I said, yes, sir, right hip. He goes, fair enough. He said, yours stays in your holster, mine stays in my holster. How about that? I said, sounds good, sir. He went back. About five minutes later, came back with a warning. So didn't get a ticket, didn't get a fine. And he said, you know, I really appreciate how professional and polite and submissive to authority you were. He goes, most of the people I pull over immediately start screaming at me. They immediately start carrying on, or they won't stay in their car, or they're, they're videotaping me, or, or doing something really weird. He goes, you were just nice, you were um, professional, and you were um, just submissive to the authority that, that the police have, and I really, really appreciate that. And we actually had a five, ten minute conversation of which one is our favorite firearm to carry. So, I we, you know, it was a, a very, very, um, I guess for being pulled over by a cop, a very, you know, interesting and, and nice time to just, you know, talk with somebody. Now, let's change things a little. Let's say I'm driving doing 70 and a 55 at night on Highway 10 in the middle of nowhere. Deputy pulls me over. I jump out of the car immediately, weapon in my hand or a pistol in my belt, obviously showing, and start screaming and yelling profanities at the officer. How do you think that's going to go for me? Probably not well. Matter of fact, if I had done that, there'd probably be somebody else standing up here today. And rightfully so. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And in this midst, in the midst of this incredibly polarizing time that we have in our nation right now, we have completely as a society lost this principle. As much as I agree, and most police officers I know would agree with this, they want and need as much training as we can possibly give them. They need more training for money. They need facilities. They need all kinds of stuff for training. They want to be trained. They want to do a good job. 99.9% of them are, want to be good citizens and good police officers and protect people. But I think even more so, we need to retrain our citizens today to respect that badge. By the way, do you know where the idea of a badge came from? It's from the Middle Ages. Kings would appoint the finest morally upright people in the nation to be knights. A knight's job was to promote the, or protect the villagers and to promote the king's justice, to bring evildoers to, 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 uh, to justice. And the badge represented the shield that a knight would carry. You have seen this probably in movies you have watched, but there is the oath of a knight was quoted as this. 
Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be strong and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. The prospective knight would say this in, in the presence of all the other knights that were available in the kingdom. And the senior knight would then take his armored hand and backhand him hard across the mouth, splitting his lip and causing a permanent scar, so that when the knight would look in a mirror or in the water and see his reflection, he would always be reminded of his oath. Those were the precursors to modern law enforcement. That's what the shield is supposed to represent. Police officers are worthy of our respect, and we should honor those who perform their jobs well. Are there bad police officers, sheriff's deputies, law enforcement, FBI? Yeah. I've been in protective services over 30 years. I've met a few. Bullies with a badge. They're out there. But I can also tell you that they are vastly in the minority. And most of them never last very long in the job. But that's just law enforcement. What about the rest of our government? They should all be in your prayers. And we should be careful as Christians of how we speak about them. And I know some would rather have their eyes gouged out of their heads than to pray for Donald Trump. I know others would rather crawl naked through a field of broken glass than pray for Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden. But if that is true, if you would find yourself or find it difficult to pray for either one of these people or either political party, then you've fallen victim to the spirit of this age. While it is true that the examples I gave, they have glaring faults. We all know that. They're human beings. They bear God's image. And all of these people in government were on the mind of Jesus when he hung on the cross to die for their sins. And therefore, they're worthy of our prayers. They're worthy of, of us holding them up before the throne of God, that God would get a hold of them and change their lives and guide their, their decisions and their behavior. And that's the principle that we see in Romans, to be obedient to the authority that God has placed in your life. And that's true in the home. That's true in this community. That's true in work or school. True in a church. True in a nation. And Paul sums up this idea in verses 6 and 7 when he said, This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes and taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And that's the principles we are to live by to honor God as living sacrifices. But, what happens when that authority turns on its citizens it's supposed to protect? Remember in the beginning I said that the Bible interprets the Bible. In other words, when we struggle with the meaning behind any verse or section of Scripture and apply, trying to apply it to the world that we live in today, we have to look back to when it was applied at other times. I had a friend, he was a little bit on the fringe, but he would insist that, we, that America should immediately surrender to Great Britain and repent from our rebellion of 1776 and we should become British citizens again. 
because we rebelled against the king. Obviously, I think that's a little out there. But if you were to take this scripture at face value and apply it strictly to every situation, he'd be correct. But I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind when he inspired Paul to write this. The Holy Spirit was giving us a general principle of how we live as citizens of a kingdom, both here and yet to come, and how we as this, this kingdom of God can live peaceably and well within a secular world government in order that our kingdom citizenship might shine a light for Jesus that would bring many into the true kingdom of God. And I believe that's the number one reason Paul placed this, this book or, or this scripture in Romans. And keep in mind of who Paul is writing to and the time that he is writing in. He's writing to Christians in Rome where a man named Nero is emperor. I don't know how much you know about Nero, but Nero at that time, for his own amusement, was throwing Christians into the Colosseum to be torn apart or to be slain by gladiators. And we're not talking a gladiator lumbering out of the tunnel and just thrusting the sword through. We're talking about a gladiator that would just take small cuts and, and get the crowd riled up and just basically torture this person to death for the amusement of the mob. Emperor Nero dipped Christians in hot oil and impaled them on large spikes and set them on fire alive to light his gardens at night. This is, this is the, the, what Paul is saying to be obedient to. Nero is not a godly man. In fact, Nero rose to power by convincing his mother to poison his father so that he could rise to be emperor, and then he kills his mother. He was a person in ultimate human authority during much of Paul's ministry. Paul still said to be submissive. As much as it is according to your conscience, be salt and light when you can and live peaceably when, with your neighbors. But when is it time when rebellion against the government is warranted? It's tricky. I'll tell you what, it is tricky. I wish I could give you... I could preach a message that says five situations where we rebel. I think it's very, very, very subjective. But I'm going to give you one famous example from modern history. How many people know the name Diedrich Bonhoeffer? Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who lived in Germany during the 1930s and 40s. Anybody know what was going on in Germany in the 1930s and 40s? Hitler coming into power, right? He witnessed firsthand the rise of Nazi Germany, and particularly of Adolf Hitler. And he was one of the first Christian leaders in his nation who spiritually discerned exactly who this man was. Immediately after Hitler was elected as Chancellor of Germany, Bonhoeffer went on the radio and warned the German people to flee from this cult of, of, um, of worship that was being that was being developed around Adolf Hitler, and, and they were calling him the, the fear, the, the leader, the one that they should emulate and follow, and they were basically worshiping him. Well, Hitler heard that radio, th that radio message and immediately forced the leadership in the German church to quit and form new leadership that followed him. That just made Pastor Bonhoeffer even more strident. Eventually, he was arrested 
and sent to a prison. He later died in a concentration camp after he was named as a co-conspirator in an assassination attempt against Adolf Hitler. Now, in the light of Romans 13, you don't have to answer this yet, but did Diedrich Bonhoeffer do the right thing? Just asking you to think about that for a second. Because there are quite a few biblical examples of people rightly rebelling against secular authority. Egypt, midwives disobeying Pharaoh and protecting the, the, un, the recently born children that Pharaoh ordered destroyed. Moses standing up against the ruler of the world of his time. Jehu wiping out King Ahab's entire family. Jehoiada, I think that's how you say his name, hiding Joash from the queen. Do you know that salvation history was one small child away from being destroyed? Joash. If, if that person would not have protected Joash, it would have derailed salvation history. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, most famously, refusing to worship the image of gold, thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel, refusing the, the, um, the emperor of Babylon's um, order to pray to him for 30 days, but still prayed to God. And one that would mean a lot to us, the disciples disobeying the leadership they were under, and refusing to stop preaching about the risen Christ. That's just a few of the dozens and dozens and dozens of examples within biblical history of people refusing to bow to evil. Now let's apply this to today in America where we're living right now. How many people have heard the name John MacArthur? Anybody? Very, very famous Christian, probably the preeminent Christian teacher right now, in the American church. He's one of the, he's a uh, pastor of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. I'm not sure how many of you guys keep up with the news, but California, California's government, Newsom, by executive order, have closed the churches for months now. Said the churches cannot be open at all, period. Well, Pastor MacArthur reopened his church and is having services in defiance of that order. And he's facing threats of criminal prosecution, major jail time, and huge fines, as, a member, as are the members of his church for meeting. And he's one of the few pastors in California standing up to this illegal order. We need to pray for them. Hi, this is Pastor John. I abruptly cut off the sermon there because we went into something that is very personal to our church family. And we sat down uh, and had a conversational and congregational discussion about it. So I cut the sermon off right there because I had to go into that very personal situation. I guess I would end the sermon with just this thought. There may come a time in the near future where we are conscience driven to disobey the government that is appointed over us. If that should ever happen, it should be done slowly it should be done carefully, circumspectly, in much prayer and in fear of the Lord. You remember, it is Him we are to honor. It isn't even our rights as Americans, but it is Jesus Christ that should be honored by everything we do, we think, and we say. So I would just encourage you in that now, that if you ever feel it is time to rise up and 
go against the government because of Christian conscience, that you do so only under the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you have any questions, feel free to get a hold of me, PastorJohnOscar at gmail.com, and I will say God bless you and have a great night.